time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Re-Engineering Your Finances. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy, founder of CP Weldy Group, serving you throughout the Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chadsford, PA, on Route 52. You can find Charles online at any time by going to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. And we'll put links and relevant information you need to know in the description of today's show. Charles, great to be with you. How are you, sir? Walter, I'm doing fine. I just got back from vacation, and I'm raring to go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, uh, so you told me you went to Arizona, and you were enjoying 105-degree heat, and you said it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, there's no uh, humidity in Arizona, and, uh, you know, I was at a very nice facility, Canyon Ranch, and uh, living large for five nights and six days. There's nothing better. I am, uh, you know, I've never been to Arizona. I've never been to one of those areas where they say the dry heat isn't that bad. So it's, and I have a feeling anybody that's like me that who hasn't experienced that for themselves still thinks you're crazy for, you know, saying 105 isn't that bad. Well, I got a story for you. Like the first time I was there three years ago, I saw all these umbrellas and I'm wondering like, why are these umbrellas laying around? Because it doesn't seem to rain that much. And then after about two hours there, I realized that most people were using them to block the sun. Uh, sun, sun, sunbrellas. Sunbrellas. Sunbrellas, right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's good, yeah. I, I imagine even if it doesn't feel so bad like if it were humid, the sun is still certainly very strong. So Absolutely. Prob- probably a good idea to have those hanging around. Well, glad you had a good trip and you're all rested and ready to go. We've got a great topic for today's show picked down. We're going to talk about some obsolete retirement planning ideas. So, you know, these days, Charles, you get that new iPhone or, or even a new computer. Seems like within a year or two, it becomes obsolete and needs to be replaced or at least is far outpaced by new and better technology at some point. Have you experienced that recently? Absolutely. Yeah, we just got a new server not long ago and, you know, things don't last forever. So what might be, uh, you know, real today might be unreal tomorrow based on, you know, the changes. Yeah, it doesn't take years for those things to happen anymore. It can be overnight sometimes. You go out and buy a whole new piece of technology and then something else comes along the next day that renders it totally useless. But uh, that's the way things change these days. Well, there are also a lot of things about retirement planning that become obsolete and need to be replaced as well. And so we want to talk about some of those outdated ideas that sometimes people still cling to and build their life savings and and put their life savings at risk or uh, put that into a plan that might be working off of some outdated rules. Now, one I'm sure we've touched on before at some point in time during our show, Charles, is the 4% rule. Why is that so outdated at this point? Well, I mean, let me ask you a question first, Walter. Do you know where the 4% rule uh, came from? I mean, do you know the history of it? Uh, mm. You know, why 4%? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I no, I don't actually know, like, the original meaning right. behind it or who came up with it. Well, I, I do a lot of reading, and, like, I don't know if this is gospel or not, but this is my, you know, theory on wh- okay. where the 4% rule came about. Uh, if you take 100% divided by 4%, you get 25. And basically, 25 symbolizes 25 years. So if you have an average couple retiring at age 65, in theory, you know, life expectancy being 90, there's where the 4% rule would come into play. They would, in theory, have 4% of their you know, income and, and principal to spend over a period of 25 years. So the 4% rule, that's where I think it came from. And uh-huh. obviously... The older you are, you know, 4% could be 5% if you're in your 70s and maybe 6% if you're in your 80s. That's my, you know, initial uh, feedback as to where this 4% rule is coming from. 
good but, to know the history of it, yeah. But why is that yeah. not an effective way to go about it? Well, I mean, you know, the first thing is that not everybody needs to withdraw 4% from their portfolio. And some people might have to withdraw more, some people less. But why it's not really uh, a good rule of thumb is that uh, you could be withdrawing 4% a year, and depending upon where your investments were located, if some of those investments went down in value, you're actually taking 4% from an account that went down, you'll never make that money back up. So, you know, there's recent studies, I don't know specifically, I don't have it in front of me, like where they're from or who did them, but I think Vanguard may have done something and maybe Morningstar where they said today's environment, uh, 3% and maybe even less than 3% might be a safe withdrawal rate. So uh, the 4% rule, you know, is kind of out and, you know, uh, how do I say this in a way that, I mean, some people, when you think about it, like, it really depends, I guess, on your income gap is what I'm trying to communicate. Some people have a large income gap. Some people have a small income gap. And if they're going to be taking more than 4% withdrawal, they better have another plan in place or another bucket of money in place to actually make up for that, you know, that money being depleted in the 4% soon bucket. We could certainly spend an entire show, I think, talking about that, Charles, and breaking down the 4% rule and all the different ways we could, uh, you know, poke a lot of holes in that boat, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. So great question um, to kind of explore on today's show. Obsolete retirement planning ideas, the 4% rule is certainly on the list. And uh, we've done some episodes in the past that touch more on that if you want to go and check those out. Let's talk about another rule in the retirement planning world called the 10 Five three rule. What does that state, and why is that possibly obsolete? All right. So the ten five three rule basically says that you know if you invest your money in stocks over time, you should average ten percent a year. If you invest in bonds over time, you should average five percent a year, and in cash over time, three percent a year. So that was like you know it's an older rule. I mean, it's not my rule today. My rule today would be six three and one. 6% for stock, 3% for fixed income, and 1% for cash. Now, that's not etched in stone. That's just kind of like the anchor that I use when I build plans for people because I think we're in a different environment today. Let, let's look at like uh, the 80s and 90s. I remember having a 9% mortgage and I was dancing in the streets. I thought like, wow, I got 9%. Fantastic. <laughs> And I remember CDs were like paying 12, 14%. And it's a different world today. I mean, you can't even get a five-year CD for more than like two and a half percent. If that, uh, money in, in a checking savings account, less than 1%. So again, 1% would be my new rule for cash. Bonds, I mean, bonds in the 80s, 90s, uh, interest rates were, you know, kind of, what were they doing? Going up. So bond values would go down and your total return would be like re- really well under bonds. Today, bonds are at historically low rates. Interest rates are, I don't know what the 10 year treasury is, but I think it's less than 2%. You know, uh, don't quote me on that, but you know, it, it's very, very low and it used to be three and, and north of three. So today, to get, you know, a, a fixed income return, I think instead of using the old rule of five, I think using three would be more appropriate. And then, yeah, I know that there's years that you can make 12, 14, 15% in stocks, but there's years that you can lose 12, 14, 15% in stocks also. And I just believe we're in a new uh, world today where, you know, hey, I hope people get, you know, greater average annual return in stocks than 6% a year. But I think if the effect in factor in fees. And again, even if you have do-it-yourselfers out there, I mean, Vanguard has fees, they got to turn the lights on. I think six, 
for stock, three for fixed income, and one for cash is kind of the new normal based on what I've seen in the last couple of years. Makes a lot of sense, Charles. The ten five three rule. It's on the list. Obsolete retirement planning ideas. All right, here's another one. This one's been around for a long time, Charles. Move from stocks to bonds as you get older. Well, I think that's really an emotional uh, type thing. I mean, obviously, there's a rule that says, hey, you should have uh, 100 minus your age. Uh, That should be the amount in stock. So if you're like, say, 70 years old, 100 minus 70 equals 30. 30 percent, according to that rule, would be in stock and 70 percent would be in fixed income. But again, new normal, if you're only going to be making three, if that, in fixed income, and you need to make you know, a higher return, that, you can't follow that rule of thumb. It really depends on the individual. What is their income gap? You know, and if their income gap warrants them you know, taking out more than 3 4 or 5% a year, they might be forced into investing a portion of that portfolio, maybe a little bit more than they anticipated in the stock market. You know, uh, and it really depends on an individual situation. All right, so they have the uh, we've got some rules like the four percent and the ten five three rule, and then some emotional elements as well, um, or just sort of like these old feelings of moving from stocks to bonds as you get older. Another one that sort of seems to fall into that feeling category might be that uh, that mentality that people have sometimes, Charles, of just get to a million dollars. You know, if I get to a million, how can that not be enough to be ready for retirement? Well, okay. So, I mean, I've heard that too. And if you have a million dollars and you have a a withdrawal rate of 4%, let's just go back to the old rule of 4%. In theory, you could take $40,000 a year out of your portfolio and that would, in theory, last for 25 years. Here's the thing, like not everybody needs to have a million dollars nest egg. Some people have pensions. Some people have like really good social security checks. Other people are married. They have two checks coming in. It really depends on, hey, what are you spending per month? What is your monthly nut? And after you subtract from that figure, let's just use an example. Let's just say the monthly nut was $7,500. And let's just say that with pensions and social security, you had 4,500 of the 7,500 covered. Now, your income gap per month is only $3,000. 7500 minus 4500 equals $3,000. So my point there is that, you know, you'd have to make 3% on a million dollars to get you, you know, my math is a little uh, hazy here, so I won't even get into that. You're going to have to, like, the million dollars at 3% is so only going to give you 30. You need 36, so you're depleting your principal by 6% a year. So that necessarily isn't true. It really depends on, hey, when will the money be needed? When will it be used? You know, is it for you? Is it for the next generation? And that will dictate, you know, whether you have enough or not enough. You know, it really depends on when the money is going to be needed and, you know, for whom is it for. So not necessarily. There's people that have a million dollars that maybe they need two million because their spending habits are a lot different. And there's people that have a million dollars and they have a nice pension and social security checks and they're spending very, very little of that money. And perhaps they need to, um, you know, they they really don't need that million dollars in total assets. Would Does you that say, make sense? Yeah. Would you say that spending habits are, are one of the most often overlooked pieces of the whole retirement planning puzzle? People focus a lot on that savings amount, but not enough on what's going out the door. Exactly. I mean, you know, that's really the, the biggest factor in developing anyone's plan. What amount of money will you need on a monthly basis before income taxes? If people could really zero in on that number, then they have a more accurate financial plan. That's really the critical element of a financial plan is, hey, what's going out each and every month? 
Great point. All right, Charles, last but not least, one more potentially obsolete retirement planning idea is that you'll spend or uh, need less income in retirement than you needed while you were working. So this old idea of you only need, uh, I see it on retirement calculators all the time. I go and say, okay, am I ready for retirement? How, how's my progress looking, right? And it's right. and it's always got this assumption in there that I'm only going to need 70%, sometimes it's 80% or somewhere, you know, around those numbers of what your current income or, uh, you know, your current income level. Is that a good assumption to, to make for those calculators? I really don't think so. I mean, uh, you got to make certain assumptions. So basically, uh, you know, when people retire, generally speaking, the mortgage goes away. But what, you know, what, replaces that mortgage is medical expenses. So pretty much they'll be spending the same you know, amount of money in that regard. You know, a lot of people think when they retire, their taxes are going to go down. But, you know, with the money that they're printing today and, you know, the, the deficit and, you know, I mean, I'm not a, an economist, but, you know, I just really believe in my heart of hearts that taxes are going to go up and maybe up a lot in the future. So, you know, you got to account for that. And then, you know, there's a saying, uh, there's a fellow by the name of Tom Hegna. He says that um, your 70s are your go-go years, your 80s are your slow-go years, and your 90s are your no-go years. So you find that in the 70s, when people retire, like in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, they're really apt to go out and travel. And, you know, sometimes uh, people do all their traveling within a five, seven-year period because they're healthy and they can do it. And they've heard stories of people that are in their 80s that waited, 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 now they can't go. So, you know, that's not necessarily uh, a rule that you're going to need 80% of your income. I mean, I make a good amount of money at my career here, and there's no way I'm going to need 80% of what I make when I retire. You know, so everyone's different. And, um, you know, I would just say that, hey, if you got an income plan done and knew what your monthly deficit was and reallocated your assets appropriately in the different, you know, investment strategies that the 4% rule might not matter anymore, whether you're getting like 10% or 6% on stocks might not matter anymore, whether you have a million dollars or less might not matter anymore. So that's the beauty of a financial plan is you're taking all these rules of thumb and you're actually, you know, customizing, you know, what someone's income needs are. And then, you know, realistically, what happens is that some people will find themselves like working according to these rules, these old rules or new rules, but they'll have their customized plan that they can actually uh, feel confident that, you know, perhaps the uh, they're going to run out of air before they run out of money. Great points, Charles, across the board. So if somebody's concerned that maybe they've built their plan off of one of these obsolete retirement planning ideas, what's to be done? What can they do to change that? What's a conversation with you look like as you try to navigate to help people down that road? Well, you know, Walter, I'm getting smart in my old age, so I encourage people to, you know, call, call our office, schedule like a 15-minute, you know, phone call to see if like, hey, what questions do they have? You know, they could have questions about our services. I mean, I love doing financial plans. I think uh, just about everyone on the planet should have a written financial plan. I, I know most people have investments, so very few people have that date dollar specific plan. So in 15 minutes, I could answer a couple questions. I could ask a couple questions. And then whoever called would know that whether the CP Weldy Group, you know, was a good fit for them that, you know, get the first step done, get the financial plan. And then, you know, the assets would fall in place based upon the recommendations made. Well, if you want to get in touch with Charles Weldy, here's how to do it and begin that conversation about your financial plan, what you need to improve in the future, some of the changes that you can make. All you have to do is call 610 388 
610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. You can also go to the website and get in touch online at cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. And we're going to put the contact information to get in touch with Charles all in the description or the show notes section on whatever app you're using to listen to today's show. So it's easy for you to get in touch. Well, Charles, great episode today. Thanks for the guidance and advice, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you, Walter. All right. Once again, if you want to reach Charles Weldy, just check the show notes, and we'll have links and contact info there for you. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.